You are listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we have a special guest on the pod, pro national team level player, Joey Jarvis, who is a professional left side attacker that's playing currently in Greece. And we dive into everything serve, receive, and attacking in this episode. So you definitely don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after a number of years coaching competitive volleyball and as the head coach of the biggest college in Canada, I've become obsessed with helping coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to coach efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is the Volleyball by Design podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 122 of the Volleyball by Design podcast. How is everyone doing out there today? We got a great episode for you guys today. Another week of volleyball. Super excited to jump on the pod once again. If you are a new listener, welcome to the pod. My name is Coach Brian Singh, and I'm the host of the podcast. And if you are a regular listener, as always, thank you so much for tuning in where every episode, the goal is to deliver some kind of value. It's to give you something tangible that you can take back to your team and apply right away. And I'm hoping that today we can absolutely do that for you. Because today, uh, we're lucky enough to have a special guest on the pod, um, someone that has been in my gym uh, quite a bit, especially over the last summer, Uh, someone that is local. He plays professional overseas in Greece. Um, he's had some stints with the national team. He has basically uh, played ball at the highest level you can, and especially what a lot of athletes aspire to to do in their careers. And I'm super excited to welcome professional player out of, out in Greece right now, Joey Jarvis. Joey, what's up, man? Thanks so much for being here. What's up? Thank you for having me. Uh, excited to talk about some stuff. All right, no, man, I appreciate it. And, uh, and for my listeners, if the if the audio goes in, uh, I'll I'll just repeat the question and we'll 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 figure it out. But uh, I'm listen, I'm I'm super excited to have you here, man. It, anytime, anytime I get to bring on a pro player is one thing, but a pro player who also has a little bit of experience in coaching, um, youth, and then uh, as has a really cool perspective. I'll tell you, listeners, every every time Joey's in the gym. When, when I, because I, what happens is I, you know, I say my piece to my athletes and then I always ask Joey, Hey, can you, you have anything else to add? And the things this guy adds are golden nuggets. It is incredible. The little nuances in our game that I've learned from him, you know, playing overseas. So I'm super excited to see what you guys are going to learn today. So I'm, anyways, let, let's, let, let's just get there. Listeners, Joey, you want to tell, tell them a little bit about yourself, like, you know, your background, how you started, where you came from, and then kind of, all the way up to where you are now? I started volleyball when I was 12. Uh, truth be told, my brother was very crazy athletic. Uh, he played in elementary school, dominated the one like York region. And that was like my first wow factor of like, yo, I, let me try this sport. And then from there, the, the love kind of grew. Um, I love the tactical side of volleyball. Like, there's no one person who could just completely dominate a game. Sure, you see, like, the box score where some guys put up 18, 20, 30 points. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of actions that have to happen before those guys can even touch the ball. And I think that's, that's the beauty of volleyball. Those things don't go unnoticed. Like, players like a libero, you know. There's no you're too tall or too small in volleyball because if you're willing to work at your craft, you can, you can do anything on the court. And um, yeah, I grew from there, played club for Guam Wolfpack. That doesn't exist anymore. Or from there, I went to Pac-Man and um, grew from there. Didn't know what I wanted to do in terms of school. So I started coaching, actually. And I was a coach and a player at the same time. And why I say that is in the four years I was coaching, the odd times where I jumped in as a player, one thing you can't do with young kids is tell them something and then not do it yourself. So when I'd bring my elbow down low because I could get away with it or I wasn't staying low on defense, kids are the first ones to tell you, yeah, but coach, it was a good thing, but you weren't low. And I tell everybody, those years coaching actually prepped me better than a lot of other years 
in my life because when you're trying to be a role model, you have to be on your, your P's and Q's and do everything properly because those kids are, quote unquote, aspiring to be like you. So that's where I learned the discipline of, hey, if I'm ever going to step in in a training, I need to be walking the walk. I can't just say it and not do it. And that mentality kind of propelled me into where I was after that, which is my mentality is get better every day. I ended up playing in the one volleyball league where for me, that was like my chance to show if I could play at the next level. Because those guys like Terrell, Steve Hunt, Joey Mantha, Andre Brown, all these guys who played pro and were doing big things overseas. And I was like, you know what? Let me see where I measure up against these guys. I had just turned 21 at that time. And I finished second in blocking and fourth in scoring. So I was like, if I can do this without that next level coaching. And this is not to say they weren't good players. Like, it was, everybody was balled in that year. It was, it was a little bit of a culture shock, but I wasn't afraid per se because if I went in there afraid, I wouldn't really know what I was capable of. So I kind of took each game as an opportunity to learn, especially because we had pros on our team. And sorry, after that, I kind of just, I started to believe that, you know, I, I think I can do this. And from there, it's kind of made a more of a mental push. Uh, things changed the year after. I had Brenda as a coach, who was also a former national team setter, Brenda Willis, who coached at Queens. A short talk with her, life kind of changed. I went from talking to her to talking to Michael Amoroso to five minutes later, I'm in a group chat with Dan Lewis. And I was like, that was fast. So I went to FTC, grinded there, made the national team. And then my life kind of started from there. So for those of you that don't know, FTC is the full-time training center. That's what it used to be called in Canada. It's a, it's a full-time training center for national players who were you know, trying to play pro, make the national team, and things like that. So after that, that's when your pro career started. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's crazy. So yeah, you, you had a... So you didn't go the traditional... Well, actually, no. Did, did you play university? I played zero university ball. You, you didn't go the traditional route, right? It's no no university ball... Uh, and that's it. That's an interesting story to get there because not many people uh, have that story. So yeah, that's, that's pretty good, man. So EA, it comes down to any, anything's possible, I guess. Really, you really, know, if you have, if you have the skill set and the size and certain things, to be honest, yeah. I'd say it came from, from Kelly Smith, uh, the Pac-Man legend. Um, yeah. the one thing he always told us was ball control is everything. If you have good ball control, then changing positions is a matter of mindset, not skill set. And I like that. It's a very, it's a very short sentence, but it's very impactful. If you have good ball control, then changing positions is a matter of mindset, not skill set. If you can block, you can pass, you can do all those things. If you're a middle, you got to be more focused on other things. If you're outside, same thing. But if you're a well-rounded volleyball player, you can play any position as long as you can change the mindset. That's kind of what I always took pride in. If I go ball control, then whether I was playing opposite or outside. Right. So it's just a matter of changing the way I was attacking or different things. But ball control is probably the biggest thing I, I preach. Okay. No, no. Fair enough. Okay. Let's, um, let's dive into the left side position. So, uh, Sorry, Sorry, is that yeah. break up? No, no, I, I'm with you now. Okay. So let's talk about the left side position. Uh, let's talk about skills. So start with the basic. What, what are the most important skills, or, or rather, what are the skills of the left side position? And then let's dive into how do you train them? So it, it's a long question, but uh, let's talk about skills. Um, okay. First, I'll start with reception. Because as a receiver, that's what the position starts with. Everyone thinks, ah, you can hit from four, you're an outside. No. If you can't receive, you're, you're not an outside. <laughs> I'll start with that. So first is reception. Um, uh, attacking, yes. Predominantly, you play out of the front left in four or the back middle in six. Um, defense, blocking. You have to be a well-rounded player to play uh, outside hitter or left side, as people call it. 
because at any point you're going to be counted on to help the team. So whether you score or not, you're going to have to receive, you're going to have to play defense, you're going to have to be blocking, a lot of things like that. But the most underrated skill I'd say as an outside is your ability to reset your mentality to zero. And why I say that is sometimes the team can be in a little bit of a rut. And if you can just get that one good pass that gives a team a chance, that could be like the catalyst that gets the ball rolling for the team. So you may not be the best attacker, but if you can pass well, you can be that game changer that helps the team propel forward because they can always count on you to get us in system and give everybody a chance to score. So I say reception number one, then attacking, defense, blocking, setting, all that stuff comes after. All right, let's dive into it then. So I love that. Um, so yeah, it, the left side position is, is a... Is a, is is a it requires a lot of skills. It's not just you know you're not just serving and passing, but uh, and we oh so we didn't even say serving on there. There's another one. We're not just serving. We're we're doing everything. Oh yeah. Let's dive into the reception. How would you, you know, how are we coaching the reception? What are the key things you're looking for to be able to have a great reception as a left side attacker? The biggest word has nothing to do with physical skill. <laughs> The word is patience, actually. Patience. Whether it's learning this skill or just the simple fact of if you overthink on reception, for example, the ball may take sudden changes if it's a float. If you're too eager to make your platform and contact it, the ball's not going to go where you want. So the biggest thing I learned that helped me on my reception to become more consistent is patience. When you get a good read on the ball and make that platform, the consistency goes up a lot higher than when you make an early angle and then the ball takes a sudden change. All of a sudden, it's a two-pass or one-pass or even a, a zero. So the biggest thing I learned is, is patience and being relaxed because Dan taught us this. If you're too tense in your body, you don't move as fluid. So being relaxed and being patient is probably the two biggest things I, I focus on as a receiver. So the second you tense up, you start overthinking, you start prematurely moving, and that's when you're creating angles or making adjustments you don't need to make. All right, so the, the, the big question is, how do you train patience? How did you, how did you train that? It took, I'm not going to lie to anybody. It took time, like a couple of weeks, maybe even months. Um... But what Dan kind of taught us is, and kind of learning it here to reinforce it, around the time when that ball is crossing the net is when you want to start making a full read on the ball. I know it sounds weird, but when you put it into practice, it's, it's a game changer. When the ball is crossing the net, that's when you want to start making your read on the ball. Because if you go too early the ball may not drop on a float per se or you go too late the ball's gone when the ball's around the net you kind of have a read on where it's going and that's when you want to react to the ball and i won't lie it's a very tough skill to <laughs> adjust to because especially when you're younger it's like hey arms out early platforms ready but the reality is the ball moves so fast and in so many directions as you play more volleyball that patience and just waiting and then Attacking the ball helps to get a lot less errors. That makes sense. That's interesting because I've been told the opposite from many coaches as well. Like, you know, I'll give you an example. Like when the, when the opposition serves the ball, you should have that. You should call it or communicate with your player who is getting that ball when it hits the attack line on the opposite side. So you should know exactly. So is, is, is that true? Or, or, is, or are you still waiting for it to come over the net? Um, see, this is where I love volleyball. Volleyball, I say, is science, not math. The way my coach teaches it here is when it crosses the net. And because the style is like attack it once you have the best read on it, it works for this style. Mm -hmm. but another coach may say when it's at their three-meter line, and the way he may think about going to the ball may work for his perception. 
So I don't want to say it's wrong. It's just, I keep saying volleyball is science because there's many, many ways to do a skill the right way, if that makes sense. It does. Absolutely. Yeah. So then, so, but, and, and I guess from, from what you were somehow, saying, how, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, so you, just depending saying, on how it's coached. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Depending on how it's coached, I'd say both of them are correct. It's just a matter about how it's taught. I'd say. All right. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I love that. So let's, let's dive more into this. So in terms of reading, because you mentioned yeah. patience and then reading when the ball. So is there any ways we can train our athletes to, to read better? Are there any cues that you look for as a, as a passer to say, okay, well, I'll give you an example. Like, you know, one popular cue is if you see the tosser spin the ball at the spin serve, we take yeah. a step back prior to contact. That's a cue that we read. Um, mm-hmm. How is there, are there any cues that you can uh, that you, you know about that we could do to to do your style of passing, waiting for it to hit the, the plane of the net before we make a move? Um, it's funny because a lot of the cue reading I've learned was simply learning ball control. So you know, if you're trying to teach a hitter to hit, let's say f- uh, four to five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hand at the back of the ball drive it straight hello joe you're breaking up those are kind of the same cues i was taught to read as a player just learn to read them faster for say, example, say, if say a that again sorry you broke up server tosses up a spin but it's dropping on his left shoulder ah sorry can you hear me now yeah, your your video. Can you hear me oh, now? There we go. Yeah, you're back. back you're back. You're back. Yeah, okay. So the last so, thing that you said was uh, a lot of the cues I've learned were from understanding. Ah, yeah. So a lot of the stuff I learned. So if a spinster tosses the ball high on his left shoulder as a right-handed player, mm-hmm. naturally his hand is coming across his body, so that ball is going six one six. So probably just completely. Let's uh, let's pause because again. he's coming across his body to get to contact the ball. Okay, we got Joey back. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So, for example, as a coach, if you're trying to train a player to swing from four to deep five, you tell them, you know, get your hand behind the ball and drive it straight in that direction. Those are kind of the cues I learned to read, especially if a player has a good wrist or something. Look at where they're contacting the ball. If they're on top of the ball, you know they're bringing the ball down. If they're behind the ball, little things like that. Um, the more you understand ball control is the more you'll be able to, to read as a player, I'd say. For example, coach will say, okay, you see the arm swing slow down. If the arm slows down, you know, there's a big chance he's going short. So I'd say the more I took pride in understanding ball control was the easier it became to read because you start to pick up on those cues a little faster as you start to see them. Okay, hold on. I want to dive into that. I love that. So one cue is you see the arm slow down. That's generally going to be a short ball. Yes. Um, what else? What else you got? Those are golden nuggets. What else you got? Um, their contact on the ball. So let's say, uh, how would I describe this? Uh, their contact on the ball. So if they're going thumb down from four, most likely they're hitting sharp angle, four to four, depending on how good they are. Right. Angle. If they go pinky down from four, like they're cutting the ball internally, they're going line, high line, maybe one, six, depending how good they are. Right. The more you see those cues are the more you be able to pick up on them. Even on blocking. Like there's, yeah, even on, hold on. Even on blocking, there's a few cues I learned through coaching modules. I'm blocking. A lot of coaches teach you, okay, get to the spot, plug the holes, okay, whatever, you know your spot. But I was never actually, I shouldn't say never. 
the biggest game changer I learned was after you get there, what are you supposed to look at? I was I had to watch a module, and the only thing you should be looking at after you get to your spot is the block, because that's where the ball is going to be coming from if the ball comes to you. A lot of people watch the hitter too much, and then the ball comes off the block, and then reactions are late. But once you get to your spot on defense, if you look at the blocks, the angle of their hands, whatever, you could pick up a lot of information of where that secondary contact is coming from, rather than watching your hitter when you cover. So little details like that help you go from being a good player to a great player. Because if you're watching the hands, let's say an outside is hitting, and the opposite has his outside hand, the right hand dropped inside. You know if your outside swings line, that ball is most likely coming across. Mm -hmm. So, little things like that. Like good players and those players at the next level. Yeah, I, I love the... I've never heard of this before. Like, thumb down from four, they're going cross. Yeah, yeah. I can see that because the, then they're, their hand's at an angle. And yes. they're going cross. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. And then pinky down from four, they're they're going like, they're, they're going line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. definitely going line, or because you can't go anywhere else if your pinky's down. So for <laughs> listeners, it, it, it's we're talking about ball contact. So when the yeah. attacker contacts the ball, if you see his or her hand, her thumb pointing down, okay, then we're going sharp cross. It's it's some kind of cross court attack. And then yeah. as in as in if you're going line, you'll see the pinky be down. That's fantastic i've never heard it explained that way before yeah. but um you always hear hey if they drop their shoulder or look at their angle of approach but but the hand positioning on the ball ball contact is yes. is so important i love that uh so i have good are good at hitting outside their body so they may be facing if they're in four and they're facing one they may go thumb down and you may read the body and the shoulder and that ball's in a complete different direction yeah so Man, that is amazing. I've never <laughs> heard it explained that way before. If you understand hand contact, you can also pick up more information as a defender, a blocker, a player in general. Okay. Yo, anything else you got in terms of reading? That was great. So I have arm swing, slow down. It's going short. I have the thumb down. I have the pinky down. Anything else that you, you've picked up? Reading. Um... I'd say low elbow. Okay. As an attacker, like if their elbow is low, the only thing it can do is hit low or hit up at the block. So that's another cue I picked. Another cue I've picked up on. If their elbow drops as an attacker, there's a big chance that ball is not. It's not going at a crazy height. Right. Because take that ball high you need to extend a bit and get that ball up right so a low elbow is another cue you can see because your your options are a lot less with a lower elbow right man this is great okay i'll i'll, I'll just pick on one more thing because we've been talking a lot about reception and cue reading but i mean the conversation is amazing is there anything else you can add in for athletes when it comes to passing you know, I have patience, I have being relaxed, I have a fantastic cue reading. Um, anything else that you can think of that helped you as a passer? Um, focus on your contact, number one. So what that means is uh, some people may have a good platform, but the ball may hit one hand a lot. So there's little drills you can do, literally just tossing the ball off a wall. And making sure you're always contacting the ball in that sweet spot, which is known just above the, the wrist on your forearms. And just making sure you're getting two hands on it all the time. And then from there, once you can get consistent good contact, just a lot of angle work, which is one thing I would always do is toss the ball off the backboard at an angle and then try to drop my shoulder and get it in the hoop. And that just taught me just, you know, creating different angles. So if I know how to create different angles, I know how to. It's basically you have a tool and you're learning how to use it. That's what I always think of it as. So 
yeah, toss off the backboard and just creating angles, try to get it in the hoop. It's a simple way to learn your body, learn different positions of how to get the ball to the net. Yeah. Or your and a big one, which I also said this summer to your team. Um, think of passing with your core, not your wrist. So if anytime you're trying to change angles, you want your shoulders to drop, not just your if your wrists turn. Big chance you may shank the ball acer. When you drop with your shoulders, your whole platform changes. So a lot of what Dan taught us was verbal cues. And the verbal cue he gave us was passing with your shoulders or core rather than your wrist. Yeah, so you want your to your wrist to move as one whole unit, if that makes sense. Yeah, I know. It absolutely does. Um, it's funny you say that because we, we actually put it like every time in the beginning of training camp, we, um, we put a huge emphasis on creating angles and shoulder work because I've learned in my career that it is an extremely uncomfortable thing for athletes to do. It's not a normal thing they had to do. So you have to train it and you have yes. to, you have to make it be, like you you have to make your body become normalized to that motion. Cause it's really weird for athletes to get used to that. So I can absolutely relate with that. That uh, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, let's uh, let's try. Listen, man, this is amazing. I, I got a ton of I got a ton of notes here about uh, reading and the sweet spot. We teach a sweet spot too. I love that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's let's go to let's transition to attacking a little bit here. Um, what are your what are your big things on attacking? How how do you train it? Oof. Um. <laughs> this is a very complex question. I know, man. I know. I just, I, I like to throw it out there and just see what, what, what are the top things that come to your mind? Cause those are probably things you're doing amazing at and athletes need to be doing. Um, actually I can simplify it. Okay. A lot of what I learned now about modern volleyball is the hardest players to stop are the ones who are not one dimensional. That's what I've, I've learned a lot now. Um, if you can always keep the defense and the blockers on their toes, that's where you become a lot tougher to stop. For example, some names I can throw out there like Angapeth, Kubiak, Wallace. Yeah. When your range of attack, velocity, style changes, it's tough when you give a setter 10 of the same perfect ball and you get 10 different attacks. Right. It's the defense doesn't know what to expect. And that's kind of the mentality I'm starting to understand. Um, I think the biggest thing I'd say to a young attacker is learn different shots. And by shots, I don't mean like beach rolls. If you can hit 80-90% line, 80-90% deep cross, 80-90% cross, sharp cross, you at least have tools to get you out of trouble. It's just a matter of knowing what tool to use when. Then from there, you learn tipping. And what I learned from tipping is a tip doesn't necessarily have to score. If you can tip, maybe take someone out that gives you advantage on blocking, that gets you a free ball, or a slowdown that gives you a chance to transition. As some coaches call it, that's a big half point because that gets you ahead in the point. So right. sometimes... A tip, oh, no, we didn't score. Tip isn't always about scoring. For example, you send a free ball over, everybody knows a free ball you're not. Most likely, if a team understands your system, you're not going to score on it. But if you get a free ball out of it, you got that half point. means you're getting a chance to close out that point because you, you set yourself up in a better position. Right. To dive more into attacking, um... I'd say steps are very important. Okay. For example, as an outside, you, if you're in the back row, you got to receive and then figure out your steps to either hit over the middle or right in front of the center, depending on what the middle is running. I think steps are probably number one because you got to understand how many steps it takes you to get to the ideal spot to be in a position to attack. Right. Um, number two is, I'd say, uh, 
kind of funny, but mobility. If you're too stiff, you're not going to be fluid enough to generate the power or hit the angles you're looking for. You never want to be stiff doing anything in volleyball. If you can open those shoulders up and then close on the ball, you're going to generate more power. You're going to have more options. You can do more with the ball. And then last but not least is the contact. You can have all the muscles in the world, but if you have a bad contact, well, the ball's not going to go where you intend to go. A lot of people are so focused on power, but power is like the last piece of the puzzle. So if you have all the power in the world, but you're not contacting the ball properly, as I say, it's like having a Ferrari without gas. <laughs> it looks nice and shiny, everything like on the outside. <laughs> not going to go anywhere. I like that. So, all right, yeah, this is this is amazing. I want to I want to dive into a couple of things you said here. So, first of all, I love the mindset of being not being one dimensional. Like, so one thing, one thing in our gym that we've been training a lot this year is patience, really being patient as an attacker. Uh, and it's kind of to what you were saying. Um, you know, what's funny. I realized this, this year that a lot of athletes will, will understand that, oh, I need to recycle, um, on certain balls, but they actually don't know how to do it. I found that out a lot. Like they don't learn how to recycle. Like they think that I still got a swing, uh, but they don't realize that, well, if you're still swinging at 80, 90%, you're going to probably get blocked. You, there has to be some kind of, you have to, you got to take something off. And one thing that, um, that our guys that we put it, we, we've taught them, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like when a block is sealed, when it's pressed completely, like if you give that ball more power, that ball is going to go down because it's, it's being ricocheted off the blocker's hands. Uh, do you, yes. do you agree? Yeah. Right. So, uh- Oh, hold on, hold on. You disagree. I got to hear this. And no, it's not a disagree. It's circumstantial. Um, if the ball, if they're pressed and the ball is under the block, yes. then you never want to go 80%. Yeah, yeah. If they're pressed and you still got maybe a meter and a half from the block, you can still hit at the block. Your person covering just has to know that ball's coming a little faster down. But, okay, I I apologize. You're right. We do teach it that way. I should have I should have mentioned when it's off the block versus it, like tight to the net. Yeah, sorry. So absolutely, thanks for thanks for confirming that. Okay, go yeah. on. Thing red flag. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but to add to your point, yes, a lot of people don't know how to recycle, and the one thing that Dan taught us that he used to get livid for is there's recycling and there's what he calls self cycling. Okay. If hit off the block you should be the first person ready to cover yourself because you know you're going to do it there's some people who recycle and then step out the way and let someone cover them he's like wait what are you doing you know you are doing it you most likely have an idea of where the ball's going because you made the move why not step in to make the play rather than run away right makes sense so recycling and self-cycling is something that people don't understand too much or practice too much. So what's subcycling then? Self, self, self. Oh, self cycling. Oh, I apologize. Okay. Yeah, self. It's just recycling yourself. So it's not always recycle, you know, guy in six takes it. Sometimes you got to play the ball off of the block and play it back yourself because the ball is dropping straight down or something. Maybe you're losing a joust and you let go of the ball, it drops, you play it back up. But I see. Okay. That's just as important. Okay, so you you got a great perception on this one. So in terms of one-dimensional attackers, like yeah. how how can we so I you said line, deep cross, sharp cross, tipping. What else can we do to train our attackers to not be one-dimensional? Um Oh yeah, I, I know it's a tough one. Now I'm trying to figure out how to attack it without going on too much. Uh, I guess the easy way to put it: if you put your hitter in certain situations and give them options, then you have chances to get out of it. And I'll expand on that. Yes. With Dan, we practice attacking at let's say one meter. Okay, from one meter, you have let's say it's a front row setter and he's small. 
big chance you can attack down the line because he's a shorter player. Or you can recycle off the middle because he's going to be bigger. Um, you can blast high hands because you're a meter off the net. If you're at two meters, same thing. And depending on where the set was or the situation, he just gave us multiple options of what to do in those situations. Like if it's tight, like we talked about this summer, you can push, wipe off the block. You can push, self-cycle. Or you can, I think you call it power tip. If you throw it into the block, yeah. same Like if you give your hitter different perspectives of how to get out of a tough situation or how to put yourself in a better situation, they'll never be stuck. For example, if I give you five of the same ball and, you know, I don't know, maybe the coach says, hey, seal the line. He's killing us. If you, if you train the hitter like, hey, okay, they're closing line, you have deep angle, short angle. If your hitter now understands that, okay, one option is taken away, I still have three others. Now their palette is more diverse. Right. But if you find a hitter who only has a line shot and you take the line and their efficiency goes down to like 10%, well, they're not very dynamic. Okay, so as you're as you're talking, I'm just I'm thinking in my head how I would train this. So would you say you have have a left side play out of four, for example, ha- give them you know seven sets of the exact same ball and put them against different block situations? Um. So let's say you want to teach. Uh, that's one way to do it. We can also do it in like a shortened version, with okay. like maybe. Two, three people. For example, you don't want it to be too much like system overload. Right. So you could, for example, just five, five, five. So you could do the first five balls tight on the net. You want to push, self-cycle. So they get a feel for, okay, you know what? I'm pushing into the block first and then letting it drop. Because some people push, they get the ball, and they're pushing out of bounds, hoping the hands touch it. Right. But the only way for that to work is you push, once you feel resistance, then you go. Right. But even training the feel of, okay, push to resistance, push to resistance. Now they get that. And then maybe you could go, okay, next, push to resistance, wipe. As they build their palette, they'll know what to do in each of those situations. Okay. So little by little, you can train those. And then where we learned the setter thing was mostly high balls. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people hit straight through the middle, basically, on the high ball. But the reality is, the middle blocker is there to be a middle blocker. Right. So, let's say there's the the late outside trailing. You could try to attack him on a high ball. Or, a short setter, you could try to go high down the line on a high ball. So, um, learning to read different cues and picking the right tool is a Oh, shoot. It's a very underrated skill. Right. So, so I, I think you, you just answered this, but I'm going to ask it anyways. So I, we have a lot of coaches who yeah. I know say, you know what? My players are always committing errors or they're always getting stuff blocked or it's like, why is he swinging into the block? How many coaches I hear this? Stop swinging into the block. You're getting, you're getting blocked every time. What you're describing right now, is that a solution to this problem? is going through these reps and these situations to help train yeah. attackers to, okay, here is a block. Here is what we can do with that block and, and train it. And you, yeah. I, think, I think you just said like, you know, like 15. So five reps, five, you know, five balls that are tight, five balls that are a meter off, like things like that. Yeah. But volleyball is pretty complex because yes. coach will tell you don't be afraid of the block, but then get mad if you get blocked. Yeah. So I think even little drills like that can help expand the mind. Teaching kids to hit high up at the block is a different skill. Because some people will hit at the bottom of a pressed block and say, well, you told me to hit at the block. Well, yeah, nobody's going to dig that if you're rifling the ball at the bottom of the block. That's right. That's Oh, yes. I, I've been dealing with that the last couple of weeks. Anyways, go on. Yeah. All details. Teaching the players where to hit at the block is different than teaching them what I always tell myself, and a general rule of thumb, is it's more important to learn the why than the what. If you learn why you got blocked, 
okay, you can change it for next time. But if you're mm-hmm. focusing on the what, which is, okay, I got blocked, you're, you're only result-driven, if that makes sense. Yes. So if I'm focusing on why I got blocked, okay, hit at the bottom. Next time, I need to hit up at the block. Well, now you're, you're learning to self-coach. You're learning to correct if you're learning the why rather than just what. And that was kind of a struggle I had when I was coaching. Some kids will see setters one hand set. And then they get a perfectly in-system ball in their one-hand setting. I was like, why? Oh, I saw Gianelli do this. And then he showed me the video. And while Gianelli is a meter over the net, saving a ball that's about to go over. That's very... So learning when to use certain skills is very important. Okay. Man, I got a a ton of notes here on on this attacking. So I just want to close it off here. There are a lot of different situations that an attacker can be in. Like you said, the yeah. game is so much. You know, as a coach looking to train our attackers on being more efficient at the net, yeah. what, are, what are the most common situations that we should be training our attackers to be able to play out of? As an outside? Yes. I'd say number one should be... Oof. Depends what level you play at. Let's say but, highlight, like, like, let's say collegiate, 18U to collegiate, and then you could take pro if you want to go after that. So the first thing that we learned at the training center, which I kind of saw, is anything on or inside three meters is in system. So we started our first two weeks of six on six, only playing balls starting from two meters. To three meters. Okay. Funny enough, after our first game, our efficiency at two meters was higher than perfect. <laughs> so when you say six on six, only at three meters, what does that mean? The reception. Sorry. Oh, so you're 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 not playing the ball out of the out of the back court. Your everything is like ten foot lining up. Yeah. So six on six, start- ten foot lining up. How how does that make sense? No, 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 no. Huh. He would introduce the first ball, and the setter was between two to three meters. Okay. Yeah. And basically, we all had to learn how to attack from that situation. So he initiates first ball to a setter that's in the two, two to three meter line, like inside, yeah. and then they make the set, and we go from there. Yes. Is it like a, a toss to the setter or over the net? Toss. Toss to the setter, and you play it out. Yeah. I got it. Okay. Because... If a guy is rifling at 120, 125, you're not always going to see the ball drop perfectly on the net. I'm not saying it's impossible, but at the highest levels, anything inside that 10-foot, 3-meter line, you're in system. Fair enough. Middle, his shoot, uh, pipe is there, outside's there. You still got four up there if you play it properly. Right. Um, so I'd say get, get comfortable hitting in the non-ideal situation, I'd say. A lot of setters do uh, hitting lines, and they're standing perfectly in two and a half. Location's great, but let them get a ball that's a meter and a half, two meters off the net, and their location nightmare. Right. So I'd say the more the setters and players get comfortable hitting in those quote-unquote non-ideal situations, is the more threatening your team will be as a whole. Okay. And funny enough, it also takes the stress off the receivers. So yeah, so uh, when so for those, those listeners, we just we just lost Joey. We're, we're back, so we're just gonna continue going from where we left off. Uh, basically, um, we're talking about uh, the setter like coming off the net, the two three meter line. Yeah, you want to finish your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, the biggest thing I was trying to touch on is um, when you get your team comfortable playing off the net. And I don't mean like four, five, six meters. Yeah. I mean, anything inside and around the 10 to three meter line. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was saying, it makes your team more diverse and tougher to stop because now they're under a threat no matter where the reception is. Because right. as a server, like let's say you take the middle out, ideally, it's easier for your middle to read because only going left and right or pipe. Right. But if a team is receiving around the three meter line, they're running the pipe, they're still running that shoot, they're running the outside, they're running the C ball or ball in two. They still have four threats 
no matter where the reception is. So I'd say getting your setters and attackers used to connecting from further off the net makes your team harder to stop because you don't, I, you don't necessarily need the quote-unquote perfect pass. You just right. need a pass that's in an area where the setter can work with his hitters. Right. So let me ask you personally, if there were shots that you would want your athletes to work on in our game, what were the, what would those shots be given a block situation, given a set situation? Like what, what are the, the shots you want your attackers to work on? Um, basic, I'd stay with a line shot and cross. Okay. And then depending on the physicality or technical skills of the player, I would introduce um, a sharp cross mm -hmm. because some players hit sharp cross, but they pull the ball down, which means if that middle presses, then game over. <laughs> Hold on. Say that because that, that, that's happening so much to even my team right now. Can you explain that? Yes. So something I learned actually in beach. Um, Looking at where the ball crosses the net, not where the hitter contacts it. So some players try to hit sharp cross, and they're pulling the ball down on maybe a one-and-a-half block, one block, and yeah. they're hitting straight cross. But if you can take the ball and drive it outside the middle's hand and still hit cross, that's a very different shot. <laughs> like the middle's inside hand or, or, or outside hand? Inside hand. Okay. 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 Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because some people like to hit sharp cross, but they're hitting it low sharp cross, which means if the, the opposite or outside extends their hand or the middle just drops, they're finished. But if you can get that ball outside of the middle's inside hand, yeah, that's a difficult shot to stop. How do you train that? Um, staying a little bit more behind the ball rather than on top. Yes, the distance is shorter. But a lot of people want to get on top of the ball and just bounce it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you're a little bit behind the ball, which our coach is teaching us now, you're driving the ball closer to the sidelines, which is difficult for the blocker, difficult for the defender, because they still got to process, is the ball in or out? They're not just thinking dig. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay, I think my last question I'll wrap up here with you is, what are your favorite types of shots? What do you see success you know, hidden. Um, my favorite shots are any blockout situation. What does that mean? Uh, when you're hitting off the block and the ball is just gone. Yeah. Or you hit off the block into the antenna. Why? Um, defense has become such a valuable skill that you don't just get away with hitting the hardest ball or jumping the highest anymore. Everybody on the court will try to dig you. That's the reality of playing at the next level. Yeah. So if you don't have um, more tools, then it's tougher. For example, what I'm learning is some of the stuff I learned when I was younger are more valuable now than ever. Like Such as? My coach, um, swinging high and deep, not just necessarily deep. For example... If I'm in four and I can consistently hit the ball at the top of the antenna, but the ball's landing within a meter of the five corner, mm -hmm. position six and position five, no matter what, have to still fight for that ball. Mm -hmm. And some coaches may say, hey, you know, okay, six, he hits angle, stay over there. Well, the second I drop my wrist, there's nobody between six and one. Right. So hitting high and deep, not just hitting deep, because if it's deep, sure. You know, you sit or you take the ball. Right. If you're hitting high and deep and that player is still having to reach, you know, around shoulder height to dig the ball, those are very tough balls to defend, not just even read. Right. So, um, yeah, those small differences, which I'm learning now, are kind of game-changing, which is how the path of the ball is traveling, not necessarily just the direction. Right. Because if you're always hitting the ball within a meter, meter and a half of any sideline, that's a very tough ball to stop because the first thing the hitter is thinking is, is it in or out? I mean, the defender. 
Yeah, yeah. That's a great point. High and deep. Yeah. No, like it's it's funny. We you, you train it, you put you tell about you talk about it, but are we really emphasizing that shot when we see it in games? Like how are we? No, no, that that that's a fantastic point. Okay. Yeah. Let's um let's just do a quick recap and see if we forgot anything. So I really like what you started off with. You talked about ball control being super important and, and the quote about ball control being everything because yeah. changing positions is a matter of mindset and not skill set if your ball control is good, which I which I love. Yes. And we talked about reception in terms of being patient and being relaxed. The more relaxed you are, the more the easier it is to create angles. Um, and then we talked about, you know, the, the, well, the quote unquote debate about when you're reading or when you're creating a platform and, and your opinion, when it's crossing the net. I love that. I love that difference of opinion and coming yeah. from a high level athlete. Absolutely. There there's value to that. Uh, you have me rethinking my philosophy on, you know, when the ball comes over the net now and relative to when we call it, how we move. So I got, I'm actually going to go look at the film after and, and see how our movement is relative to that. So that's interesting. Um, then we talked about some cues that were really cool. Uh, and I've never, I've never heard of this, but the, the, the you know, the pinky down, from four. So if pinky downs from four, it's going to be high line one, six thumbs down from four. They're going cross, uh, yeah. really interesting. Uh, low elbow generally means hit low or, um, or you're going to hit up at the block. Yeah. So those two things. Yeah. Uh, then we talked about, uh, in terms of attacking or no, sorry, we talked about contact. So the sweet spot really emphasizing the same spot every time. And I loved your example of hitting off the basketball net or basketball backcourt and then trying to put it in the net. Uh, yeah. that's a really, really simple thing you can do to work on your, your passing and then passing with your core, you know, working on your shoulders, dropping your shoulders and passing with your core, not necessarily your wrist, which, which yeah. is so true. Cause you see that habit all the time, especially all with time. Youth athletes. Oh man, I absolutely agree. Then we transition to attacking, um, from left and four back middle and six on the left side, the hardest players to stop. And this is a great point. The hardest players to stop are the ones that are not one dimensional. They have mm -hmm. an array of, they can swing line. They can swing deep cross, sharp cross and understanding that tipping doesn't have to score, but it could be to take someone. And you mentioned a really interesting thing about a half point. Yeah. Yeah. You can, yeah. You can get a half point to, to get the ball back, to get your full point. I love that idea. That's and that goes back to patience. Um, and, in, and in terms of, you know, putting your players in practice in a variety of situations so that they can work on their game. Uh, one yeah. meter off the net, two meter off the net, tight. And what do you do with that? You know, pushing off the block, self cycle. That's a really interesting point. And we all talk about recycling, but yeah, understanding yeah. the difference between self cycling is your individual ability to pop the ball up. Recycling is more team base to get that yeah. ball back up. So yeah, no, I, I love that point. Um, you talked about the fact that steps are very important. So how many steps does it take you to get to your spot? Mobility, not being too stiff. Um, because you won't be able to hit your, hit your shots if you don't have mobility. Yeah. Uh, good contact. Um, you can have all the power in the world, but if your contact sucks, then unfortunately your shot's not going to be there. I like yeah. I like the idea of 15 balls in terms of you know five balls in different situations. So five balls, you know, tight, five balls off, etc. Working on the line and sharp cross. Um, basically working on any anything inside the three meter line as an in-system ball. And I like that because we actually do talk about the same thing in our gym. And um and, and this is what you can, we kind of talked about in the, in the summer, but you, you see a team that if they're passing anything inside the three meter line and they have all four attackers jamming all four hitting lanes, that is a great systems team. And yes. it's something that we, we strive to be on as well as being able to run all four attackers. Um, so I know I love that. Uh, we talked about your favorite shot, which is the, you know, the block out anything off hands, hands, uh, high hands off the antenna. Um, you also talked about, uh, defense looking at the block as opposed to looking at the attacker, because the block is going to tell you, you know, what's happening. Sorry. Um, covering, I should say, not defense. You're right. You're right. I apologize. Covering. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Covering when you're covering your hitter, looking at the blocker's hands, not the attacker. Yeah. Um, I, I talk, I like that you talk about this underrated skill of resetting your mentality to zero. Cause sometimes yeah. you'd be a, in a rut, but if you were that player, that can pass well out of that right, you become extremely more valuable. It makes you a more yeah. well-rounded player. Um, so that, I mean, first of all, man, these are amazing points. Is there anything that I missed or that you thought of in terms of reception and attacking that we could add on to this? If not, it's fine. Cause you talked about a lot. <laughs> um, I think from there, 
it would be a mental change. And the same thing that we talked about, just a piggyback of patience. The same way you're not going to give your setter a perfect pass every time, your setter's not going to give you a perfect set every time. So being patient and understanding that, hey, you may have to recycle a ball maybe twice before you get that golden one where you can go 100%. Right. I think a shift in mentality. Because some players get a bad set and then they'll hit 100% low at the block and be like, hey, can you put the ball higher? As my coach said, that's two mistakes, not one. <laughs> so it's a bad set, bad choice. Right. So also understanding that even with you getting the right ball, it's going to take patience. So I'd say just the mentality, I think, would be the last thing to close off for attackers is in volleyball, sometimes you're going to be at a point where you have the perfect opportunity to score, and sometimes you won't be. So it's about fighting for that chance to get in the best position to score, like those half points you're talking about. Like if if we have a free ball situation, and I don't know, for example, Daniel, he rifles the ball from four meters, if he dig, you guys get a free ball back. That's your half point. And now it's on you as a team to control that first ball. Now we have a chance to score. So understanding that even though the whole point and certain parts of the point all take patience. A lot of people think, oh, we've got a perfect pass, perfect set. Oh, we got to score. Maybe they just have a 6'10 blocker who's huge and we got to recycle. So let, don't always feel like perfect situations end up with perfect results. I guess that's the best way to say it. That's, that's an amazing point. Yeah. Because, you know, even, even myself, I always, I always throw this out. When we're in system, we should be scoring 9 out of 10 times. But what I can also add on to that is it doesn't have to be the first ball. It doesn't have to be the first one. Yes. That's exactly yeah. what I'm trying to say. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Small changes. Yeah, we're in system. Ideally, we should be at 90%. But understanding that, hey, the team's defense may also counteract how good our offense is. So understanding there's, there's patience to scoring also. Right. Um, and I'll say, so one thing, I, I just want to touch on one thing you said, because I know a lot of coaches I've been talking to, and even in the league, hitting efficiency is hard to come by at the younger level. Even at the collegiate level, guys just want to pound the ball, like, and they're not patient, they don't score, and things like that. And I, you see a, a ton of players hitting straight into the block, you know, getting a bad ball and not knowing what to do with it, being, you know, nervous about what, and then yeah, yeah, they get blocked and don't get me wrong. You're, you're going to get blocked in games, but so your, your advice to these coaches where we have to train our athletes to be more than one dimensional players. And in any given, any given set, you're potentially the last person to touch the ball, which means you have a lot of value that you could do. You could, you could recycle a lot of things. And the way to train that to be clear is just put the players in these situations and keep repping it out until they get used to the block they get used to the sets. Is, is that right? Or is there more to that? Um, Dan actually shifted our mentality as a team when we were at the full-time training center, Dan Lewis. And the biggest thing he looks at at the end of a game. And I told some of my teammates this last year is plus minus. Yes. How many points you're scoring for the team? Subtract how many points you're losing. Some people will put up on a score sheet, hey, I had 30 points and they're plus five. Well, you basically donated a set alone with your errors. That's right. So that's that's one of the biggest things I look at every game. Like for example, last season I had a 28-point game and I was plus 20. Probably the most efficient game I've had. But that's the kind of value that he makes me look at. If you're a 30-point-per-game player, sure, you're of value to somebody. But if your plus-minus is under double digits, well, you're costly. (laughs) You're basically a wild card. Right. Even doing small drills, even 10 balls just to make stats easier, and looking at efficiencies for players. Okay, sure, you know, maybe my P2 is not scoring as much, but he's not making errors. He's passing a solid 2.9. And sure, maybe he scored... 10 points out of the 40 balls he got, but he has no errors. Yeah. His efficiency is good because there's not much minuses. Right. But he's still valuable because he's passing nails. He's doing other things. So Dan looked at how much we're scoring for the team 
but also how much we're losing for the team. Those things are very important. You can't just look at a score sheet like, ah, I had the game of my life. I scored 40 points. Great. Yeah. <laughs> sure, congratulations. Things were clicking. But also, how many points are you? Is it taking you to get there? Right. Yeah, no, that's a great point, man. And yeah, no, I, I, I and what's for you guys, as you said, what's a good passing grade at, at your level? Like, what do you want to be at, around? Um, what I was told, international standard is 60% you should be in system. Okay. But that's all relative to the velocity of the serves. That's the thing. That's true. The six out of ten, if guys are cranking one ten plus, six out of ten yeah. is sorry. Six out of ten side out. Oh, you're not siding out. So not the quality of the pass. It's yeah, the conversion. Six out of 10, you should be siding out. Okay. That's yeah. But he did say as receivers, your goal on spin, he said, should it be around fifty-five to sixty percent. If it's somebody rock getting serves and then on float, you should try to aim for 65, 70. Okay. So you're looking at like a, like a, if you're, if you're on a three point passing scale, a two, like a two is a two is good. A 1.95 to two is really good. A two on spin and a two, 2.5 on float. Okay. Yeah. I can take that. So if you can, cons- no, no, but that's for each receiver. If each of your receivers can consistently have those numbers. That's right. As a team, your opportunity goes up exponentially. Right. Yeah, no, no, that makes sense. Man, Joey, this is this is crazy. This was fantastic. Uh, I already went through everything. So this is, listen, is, is there anything else you want to add on to everything you've talked about? And then we're, we'll finish off here. Um, The biggest thing I say to young or old people, coaches, anybody I speak to is um, never be afraid to learn. And I know it's a very small sentence, but it's very powerful. Even some kids I coached even talked about my facial expressions on the court. And I realized how my facial expressions were impacting my teammates. So it may not always be volleyball stuff you're learning. Maybe even a family member says, hey, you know, I don't know, Brian, your, your demeanor this game was, was different in other games. And your team performed differently. Maybe look back and, you know, try to pick up information. But the biggest thing I say is never be afraid to learn. Like, be a student of the game, be a student of life. And I think that's where you get a lot of opportunities. Yeah, man, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I actually, I try to do that. I try to learn as much as I can. Like when I have, especially when I have players come to my gym, like I like to give them, you know, I like to hear what, they, what their perspective on things. I pick your brain all the time on, on, on things. And I, I appreciate you being so open and sharing because, I mean, I'm trying to win a championship and the only way I can do that is to continue learning and helping my players. So I absolutely appreciate that, man. Thanks. And for those of you that want to follow Joey in, in his pro career and, and look at him, like Instagram, is that the best place to, to follow you on? Yeah, Instagram is probably easiest. Yeah, I'll, I'll link up his uh, his Instagram in, in the bio. Go take a look, you know, support him. Uh, he's, he's competing out there in Greece. And uh, I listen, man, I appreciate it. Um, oh, I do have to ask you one last question. It's a really, it's a quick one. Sorry, I ask everyone this: If you could have dinner with anybody you want in the world, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh, personally, that's an easy one for me, okay. and it would be Kobe. Yeah, simply because everyone says mambo mentality, but being a pro athlete, um. A friend told me this before I went pro, which is it's different when getting up to play is your passion versus getting up to play as a job. When you're aching and you still got to wake up and practice, when your stomach's hurting, when the ankle, it's very different. And even Kobe, through injury, he hurt his right hand, he's practicing with his left. He hurt this, he's doing something else. Like He never looked at an injury as a setback or a time to relax. He always found a way to get better in something. Right. To be honest, I just want to, he had so much knowledge as a mental player that I think is, is very valuable. And maybe you see this as a coach. Mental toughness, I feel, is something that's slowly been lost as the years go by. I, I don't disagree, man. 
So I think because even through the toughest times, he always found a way to like push. And I feel that's very um, lost now. I, I agree. Even when we recruit, when we train athletes, the, the mindset and yeah, the mental toughness, their ability to be able to persevere and not make excuses, not blame others or do something like that. It's when I see that an athlete now, it's even more amazing than I was in the past. In the past, it's like, okay, there's, there's a handful of them. Yeah, we're, we're good. But now it's, you got to be very careful too with mm-hmm. athletes and how you train athletes now, because there's, there's a lot of other factors we consider versus back in the day where it, it, it wasn't as much, but now we have to put an emphasis on it. We have to train mental toughness yeah. and mental skills and, and be intentional about it. And before it's like, oh, that athlete's mentally tough. Like, you don't have to, you don't have to train him. He, he, he knows he figured it out. So yeah, man, it, you're, you're right. At, at my level too, I, I see it all the time. So that's crazy. But listen, bro, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Uh, for our listeners out there, you're going to have to listen to this episode again and take notes. If you're driving, come back, write these things down. I have, I have a ton of notes that I made on my side, so I can only imagine how much notes you guys are going to make on your side. And Joey, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for, for being here today. And for my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Volleyball by Design podcast. I will see you guys next week. Take care. All right, cue the music. Look, are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training? And instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days. When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.